is an Odyssey original. This is the War in Ukraine Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Today, the Russian offensive continues. There is some optimism about peace talks between the two sides. Ukraine's president makes a powerful and emotional plea for help to a joint session of Congress. We talked to a Ukrainian who's fled Kiev about that speech from President Zelensky. President Biden responding to Zelensky's speech with $800 million in military aid, but he says a no-fly zone is a no-go. We start with what's happening on the ground in Ukraine. Russian and Ukrainian officials say there is progress in the peace talks, but Russia's onslaught continues. Journalist Phil Itner is in Lviv in western Ukraine. Uh, Phil, the president, did come out and call Vladimir Putin a war criminal today. Doesn't have uh, much of an impact on the actual war, though. Well, probably not. It may affect the negotiations that you mentioned earlier, but as far as the strategic and the military situation on the ground here, It's unlikely to change, but it's interesting that uh, President Biden would make that statement on the same day that we learned that a representative from the International Criminal Court in The Hague was actually here on the ground and has begun an investigation. We mentioned also the aid package, more than $800 million, uh, more air defenses, uh, more anti-tank defenses. The no-fly zone is still a no-go. The jets are still a no-go. How fast is some of that stuff making its way into Ukraine if at all, because we keep mentioning every week, more support's coming in, more support's coming in. I mean, do we know if it actually is is getting there? Yes. Yes, we do, actually. Um, I have seen uh, photographic evidence uh, repeatedly, uh, uh, stuff that's being put out by the Ukrainians, of course, but also just people on the ground here that I know um, going through checkpoints. And uh, I have seen what are called these in-laws, these... Uh, anti-tank weaponry uh, that is being sent in by the the thousands by various NATO member states. So that is actually physically on the ground here. Uh, We are told that more drones are being brought in. But yes, uh, from President Zelensky's speech uh, to Congress, we we did hear him asking for jets, but also asking for more anti-aircraft weaponry, in particular the S-300 anti-aircraft weapon system and uh, Something that uh, the Russians have said, if that gets sent in here, it will um, be seen as a serious escalation. Okay, so the U.S., uh, Great Britain today, NATO consistently, no to a no-fly zone. That being said, if the Ukrainians get enough of the right equipment, could they, on their own, in in your view, create a de facto no-fly zone over their country? Well... I'll tread delicately here because uh, you're asking me to look into a crystal ball. However, having said that, um, the there is clearly a battle for the skies happening here in Ukraine. Over the weekend, we saw that uh, heavy attack at the airfield and the training base just outside of uh, where I am in Lviv here, we heard the air, ride, air raid sirens as a result. But, you know, the Russians attacking with cruise missiles to an airfield, well, you don't do that unless you're concerned about Ukrainian air power. Now, we're, we're you know, we're into well into our third week of war here. And if the Russians are still struggling to keep the Ukrainians from having any kind of uh, accessibility to air power, it, it just shows that... Uh, they don't have air dominance. What in these peace talks is showing the most promise right now? 
Well, you know, reading the tea leaves and some of the things that the negotiators and uh, in particular Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has said, it, it looks as though the 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 thing that folks are most hopeful for uh, on on in the negotiating teams is a, a new stated position of neutrality that would allow the Russians to not fear that uh, uh, border that they share with Ukraine being utilized by a NATO uh, friendly state. Uh, it's been floated the idea of maybe turning it into kind of an Austria uh, situation, which is not a, a NATO member state, but of course is. Is is um, you know a European uh, state uh, independent and on its own. So that looks like it's something where progress is being made. However, at the end of the day, we're still talking about territory here, and the Russians have seen seized an awful lot of it, um, both now and back in 2014, that the Ukrainians want to see returned to them. Journalist Phil Itner back with us from Lviv. Phil, thanks. It was an emotional morning in Washington as Ukraine's President Zelensky addressing a joint session of Congress. He asked for more aid, including a no-fly zone, while invoking Pearl Harbor and September 11th. Most of his address in Ukrainian with a translator, and then they played a video with graphic images of the war, including badly injured civilians and children running for cover. Out of the video, uh, he did finish in English. In the end, to sum it up, Today, today it's not enough to be the leader of the nation. Today it takes to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Peace in your country doesn't depend anymore only on you and your people. It depends on those next to you, on those who are strong, strong, doesn't mean weak. Strong is brave and ready to fight for the life of his citizens and citizens of the world. For human rights, for freedom, for the right to live decently and to die when your time comes and not when it's wanted by someone else, by your neighbor. Today, the Ukrainian people are defending not only Ukraine. We are fighting for the values of Europe and the world, sacrificing our lives in the name of the future. That's why today the American people are helping not just Ukraine, but Europe and the world to keep the planet alive, to keep justice in history. Now I'm almost 45 years old. Today, my age stopped when the hearts of more than 100 children stopped beating. I see no sense in life if it cannot stop the death. And this is my main mission as the leader of my people, great Ukrainians. And as the leader of my nation, I'm addressing the President Biden. You are the leader of the nation, of your great nation. I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Thank you. Coming up after a short break, what do the Ukrainian people think of Zelensky's speech to Congress?
Here in the U.S., the response to the address from the Ukrainian president has been universally positive, Zelensky getting a standing ovation from Congress. What do people in Ukraine think? Victor is with us, lives in Kiev, had to leave and escape Russia's attacks on the capital there. He's in western Ukraine. Uh, Victor, your thoughts on what you heard? Yeah, well, first, first of all, thank you very much for reaching out, because I think the American people should know the truth. And, well, basically, I support every single word that our president said during that speech, because we're truly fighting not just for our own country and our own freedom, but for the entire democratic world. So uh, we really need support and whatever help we can get from all of our allies around the world, because we're fighting a very powerful enemy, and uh, we are thankful for whatever help we can receive. Do you think enough help is coming through? I mean, there's obviously other things that are being called for, but those come along with with their own kind of complications. Well, yes, uh, we've already received some weapons and uh, financial support from the U.S., but the biggest threat that is uh, take that is currently in Ukraine is from the skies because the Russians they're shooting missiles into the cities. And this is the biggest battle that we're currently losing. So that's why we're asking all of our allies to close the sky to make sure that we are protecting from the sky because everywhere else where our army is doing a wonderful job. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Victor. How old are you? What do you do in in Ukraine? And and, uh, what's your future plan? Well, I'm 25 years old. Uh, I'm I was working in the finance industry, but now I don't currently have a job because a lot of the companies had to close due to martial law and taking place. Uh, so basically right now I'm just deciding what to do next. Uh, currently, uh, my full-time job is basically uh, volunteering. I help fundraise for the Army because this is our main priority right now, that all of our guys have everything they need, so all of their needs are covered. Uh, plus, I'm also helping uh, fight the Russian propaganda. So I'm trying to report all the different websites that are just uh, saying false and just some false statements in terms of Ukraine. Uh, and also, I'm trying to support our cyber forces as well. So this is what I'm doing right now. Take us through some of that some more in some more detail. How are you trying to fundraise and, and who are you getting the money to? And then, uh, you know, when you go through and you, you tag all these posts and you do, because it, it strikes us that every single person that we've talked to is doing something, whether it's carrying supplies in or trying to go closer to the border and get some stuff or humanitarian convoys. I mean, everybody is playing a part. Everyone that's come on the air has a different kind of thing that they're doing. Exactly. We are as united today as ever. I mean, there was no politician in our entire history that could unite our country uh, right now because we all have our own uh, views about different things in normal life. But right now, we just have one objective, is to win. Because uh, if Russia stops this war, there will be no more war. If Ukraine stops fighting, there will be no more Ukraine. I just want to make this clear. So in terms of uh, my support, what I'm doing is I have a bunch of uh, friends on Facebook, and I just posted uh, the official uh, uh, military accounts for our army 
there is an account of a national bank of Ukraine that uh, that you can transfer the money into it, and uh, it will buy all of the supplies uh, for our army. So, and I actually used to live in the states ten years ago as an exchange student. So I have a lot of American friends on Facebook, and I just reached out to all of them, asking them for help because this is what our country needs now. And I've been doing this uh, pretty much all, all those days so far. Victor, what about your family? Uh, yes. Yeah, so basically, uh, I was born in Kiev, and I lived there, but uh, we had to move to western Ukraine because I worry about the safety of my relatives. So that's why we decided to move. But who's with you uh, now? I mean, are you with uh, who? How many members of your family? Yeah, so basically I'm I'm here with my grandma, my mom, and my aunt. And what were things like in Kiev at the time that you left? So we left two days ago. Uh, we were there uh, all this time before that. And so we decided to leave when we started hearing uh, bombings uh, that were pretty close to the apartment. And since uh, uh, it's really not safe to stay there, and uh, my my current job is helping army, and I can do this pretty much from everywhere, and I was very concerned about the safety of my relatives, uh, we decided to move temporarily uh, into the western Ukraine. How old is your grandma? Uh, my grandma is 75. She's five years old. Okay, so she's lived through a lot in her life. How's she taking this? Well, she worries a lot because uh, this is a very stressful time for all of us, especially for her. Uh, but uh, she's still staying strong and uh, just hoping that this ends soon and we win. What is it like to have to pick up from you know the city you were born in the city you know and then just kind of move to a different part of your country not knowing how long you're going to be there or what things are going to be like if you can go back to to where home is well uh honestly it's difficult hours to get to where we are now usually it takes about five, so it's almost three times as long and um you know we we're living in this uncertainty right now and it's pretty difficult, but uh, we're not panicking. We're staying strong because uh, panicking doesn't help at all. And we're just trying to do whatever we can to help out our guys. And hopefully this will end soon and and we will be celebrating our victory because everybody in Ukraine believes that uh, we can fight back and defend our own land. As I'm sure you know, something like, I don't know, three million more of uh, Ukrainians uh, have left the country. Uh, Poland, uh, you know, points points west from there. We've spoken with people who are in Greece and in Spain. Have you and your family discussed moving even temporarily out of Ukraine or have you decided to stay and why? Well, we're. Obviously, we're talking about this uh, because we know we don't know whether Western Ukraine will be safe one week or two weeks from now, because uh, you know uh, this war is just unpredictable. Uh, so this might be a possibility, especially because of grandma. 
because she's pretty old and we worry about her uh, mental health and all that kind of stuff. So this is not out of the question. We started off talking to you about the speech your president gave. How much does it mean to, to people that he has stayed put when he's been given options to, to get out of town, to get to maybe where you are, somewhere safer than Kiev, but he's stayed exactly where he is? Well, uh, first of all, we need to understand that Kiev is a strategic place for our enemy. And they will be doing pretty much anything they can to uh, just uh, kill more civilians and just push harder. But when it comes to Zelensky, obviously he is the president. He has uh, his own bodyguards and uh, his well, uh, his security is taking care of his safety. When it comes to us, we don't have private uh, bodyguards and nothing of that sort. And we can't really protect ourselves from missiles. That's why we've made this decision to go to Western Ukraine for now. And this was mainly done because of my concern for the safety of my relatives. Victor, you didn't uh, grow up in the military, right? And and you, you so you don't have that background. Uh, and a month ago, you were going about your business, I suspect, doing what you were doing, your job and being with your, your family. What has changed in you? Where are you drawing, you're getting your strength from to deal with a situation that you never could have actually anticipated? Yeah, obviously I have no military experience whatsoever. I've never fired a gun in my life. So uh, on a, um, it is a difficult time, but you know, uh, we're just, we are Ukrainians. We're really strong. Uh, to be honest, this is uh, th- today, those 20 last days were probably uh, the first days when I really felt proud to be Ukrainian because the amount of resistance that we're showing right now, our army, like all of the people, like everybody is involved in something. Like uh, women are making sandwiches for soldiers. Uh, everybody is helping out however they can. Uh, I knew myself that uh, I'm not, not a good soldier since I don't have any experience and I might be useful better in some other ways. And that's how I'm uh, uh, providing support right now. And honestly, our lives have been completely disrupted by this war in the most negative way possible because we even had to move out of the city for now. And so we're just, you know, staying strong and because we're a strong people, we're a strong nation, and everybody uh, is doing their job uh, for the victory, basically, because this is our main objective right now. Victor, thank you so much for talking to us. Uh, Victor there from Kiev, but again in the western part of the country, and as you've heard, doing multiple things to do his part, everybody doing what they can. Uh, Victor, again, thank you, and, and all the best from us to you and the family. President Biden is trying to walk a fine line with Ukraine in response to the address from Ukraine's president to Congress. The Biden administration has pledged $800 million in military aid on top of what the U.S. has already given. But he has resisted Ukraine's plea for a no-fly zone. The president has said that that would essentially start World War III. Alex Ward is Politico's national security reporter. Alex, some calls from the U.S. for the no-fly zone, but most lawmakers still against it, right? That's right. A bunch of Republicans as well. 
currently in the Senate, I mean, it's a, it's a you know, DOA idea. So this isn't probably going, sorry, this isn't going to happen. President Biden is unlikely to let this happen. Of course, the situation could change. Things could happen on the ground. But for the moment, the most they're willing to do is provide a substantial amount of military assistance, including today sending 100 switchblade drones over to the Ukrainians. Yeah, you know, and in the beginning of the show, we were talking with a reporter in uh, Ukraine, and and I raised the question, and I'll I'll ask you the same thing, whether there is some thinking perhaps in Washington that, you know, there are no-fly zones and then there are no-fly zones. Uh, Could, by giving the right equipment to the Ukrainians, they, in effect, create a de facto no-fly zone? Well, the drones, the 100 switchblade drones are not going to patrol the skies. They're, they're basically mortars. They're, you know, smart mortars that you can fly up and, and, and fly back down to towards a tank and, and destroy it. So there's no, you know, predator-type drone that we're providing, as far as well, I know, uh, at the moment that could, you know, patrol those skies. So, but look, it's, we're three weeks in, and the Russians still don't control the skies over Ukraine. And that's in large part because of the anti-aircraft systems that the West has been providing Ukraine. So... In Washington's mind and in Brussels' mind, there's no reason to even consider no-fly zone because that would just escalate the conflict when uh, there's no need, especially when they, the Ukrainians are having so much success denying the Russians their superiority. Do we know how fast some of this uh, assistance is going to make its way over? Again, our report earlier was saying it, what has been promised already is showing up. It is there. You can see it in pictures. He gets it from his sources. But in terms of the new stuff, what's the lead time on that? Well, they've been remarkably fast from in the past, you know, some announcements were made and equipment arrived within days, even even hours. So I would suspect a lot of this stuff is probably making its way over the border in Ukraine as we speak, uh, and perhaps more coming in the days ahead. Uh, this could be very, very fast. Of course, it depends where exactly a lot of these weapons are coming from and, you know, whether they still need to make some negotiations with European allies who might be providing a lot of this, you know, helmets and ammunition or what it may be. But this can be done very fast, very quickly. Well, and, and of course, as I'm sure you know, uh, Vladimir Putin has said already that uh, the transportation of, of uh, weapons from the West to Ukraine in and of itself would be would make them targets. So is there a lot of concern or any concern in Congress that I, I presume that these weapons are coming through Poland or other NATO countries? If that's the case, or is there a concern that that in and of itself could escalate this? Yeah, mostly, uh, as you mentioned, Poland and Romania. Uh, look, there was already the missile strike out near Poland, uh, although it was in Ukraine, uh, towards the training center. So it's not impossible that the Russians are interested in hitting convoys uh, of, of deliveries that are coming through, again, you know, the Polish-Ukrainian border, the Romanian-Ukrainian border. Uh, but that's why everyone's quite quiet about where these weapons are getting in and how they're getting in, uh, because no one, you know, they don't want it to be a target. Uh, but it is very possible that the Russians are considering escalating the conflict by hitting these convoys. It's a threat that made not only recently, but really since the start of this conflict. So it's been a concern, but clearly, you know, the U.S. and the West are not deterred. They're going to keep providing the weaponry even in the face of that threat. Yeah, there's making threats, then there's the ability to actually do things. There were reports earlier this week actually putting a number of days on, on how long the Russians could go without a whole bunch of resupplies. They're running out of foods. That's why they asked China for all the MREs. What do we know about the status of, of the force that they've got in there? Well, there's a lot of them. <laughs> it's, it's almost the entirety of all the troops that the Russians pre-staged outside of Ukraine but before the invasion started. And we know that they really only had enough equipment and, and logistics and food and, and medicine for about a two to three week or so operation. 
uh, as we even reported today, there was a State Department cable that mentioned there was a cache of uniforms that were expected, Russian uniforms that were expected to be used for a victory parade uh, that the Ukrainians found in Western Ukraine, indicating that they, the Russians really thought this would be a fast mission. Uh, clearly, that's not the case now. It, usually in wars like this, roughly around the three-week mark, you see uh, a fighting force stop and resupply and, and get its logistics right. That's where we are now. And, and people I'm talking to are saying part of the reason the Russians are you know, stopped or stalled is, of course, the Ukrainian resistance, but also that they are trying to figure out their logistics and their resupply and get more material. So this is a bit, maybe a strategic pause in the Russian, uh, on the Russian side, and we might see an advance ahead where they might have more of the stuff that they need. You know, in looking at the images of the speech this morning, the virtual address from Zelensky to, to members of Congress, Republicans, Democrats together, it, it appearing to be very, very unified. Uh, anyone guessing in Washington how many more seconds that unification is going to last for? Uh, I, I expect it to last for quite some time, uh, namely because, you know, it's a, there's a, a belief that Ukraine is worth fighting for and worth supporting. But um, cracks are starting to show, of course, in the way that uh, people are talking about. Alex Ward there, Politico's national security reporter, anchor of National Security Daily. Alex, thanks. You've probably seen the video online, brave Russian journalists protesting the war live on a state-owned television station, holding up a sign saying no war, and they are lying to you. Well, now she's speaking out after she says she was detained by Russian authorities for 14 hours. She says she felt like she had to do something because she was ashamed to work for a TV station that produces what she calls Kremlin propaganda. This is an Odyssey original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Stitcher.